1946, Bugsy Siegel got his piece of the American dream. He opened the Flamingo Casino and Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. This man, Bugsy, a gangster, in an attempt to go legit, started a city called Las Vegas. Bugsy was a man not unlike the people Jesus was criticized for hanging out with. And Paul, the man who wrote three quarters of your New Testament, spent three or four years in this city, not unlike Las Vegas. Welcome to Ephesus. Welcome. This is episode 71. How you doing? How you doing out there? It's good to have you here. It's good to have you with me. I am glad you're listening. I am humbled and honored both at the same time. want you all to know that. Um, today, I'm going to unpack, uh, talk about, I'm going to go into... Um, these folks called the Ephesians, talking about uh, a biblical reference to the armor of God and what that all means, because, uh, like I say, I heard it before and just didn't really get it. Had a lot of despair over it. I, I, I thought that I believed this stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And the armor of God for me was was one of those deals that uh, really bugged me in a sense that I... I just didn't understand, and, and I was still stuck, and that sounds great on paper, but what does that mean for me and my heart and my soul? So that's why I'm uh, unpacking for you, getting some lead-in material so, to get you to understand a little more the culture that I'm going to talk about, because I think for a lot of us dealing with uh, struggles of sexual integrity, you know, we can look at a Bible story and look at a uh, a group of people like the Ephesians and say, well, that was, you know, thousands of years ago, Russ, or what, I, I don't understand. What do you, how do they and their culture, what do they have to do with, uh, with me today in 2008 where I live in English speaking world, you know, whether you're in the U S or England or Australia, New Zealand, wherever you're at, what do the Ephesians have to do with you? And what does this have to do with sexuality and sexual integrity? I'm going to talk about that. The Ephesians were a, uh, a culture that was, uh, I guess you could say, sexually enlightened. Right? Sex is nothing new, by the way. The drive for sex and the, the things that we do to get sex and stuff like that, not really a new thing. The heart... You know, technologies and cultures change, but the hearts of people, um, 
they remain the same. We still have the same appetites and, and things of this nature. So I'm going to go into some of that, talk about some email, and enjoy the show. lead-in song um, I played was by a band called The Elms. Yes, The Elms, and it's called I Am The World. Played that song for you to uh, illustrate a point about worldliness. What is worldly anyway? What do you mean by that? And uh, a lot of Christians really try to separate themselves from being worldly. I want to unpack that as well because it has everything to do with the armor of God and how you are seen by the rest of the world. Open the eyes of my heart. Paul talks about that to the Ephesians, trying to get them to open the eyes of their heart. Because here's the deal. If there's a devil in you, it has nothing to do with love. If you can't be true, you know, if if you want nothing to do with love, there is something broken in you. There is something, there is some part of your your uh, identity. Somewhere in you, you learn two plus two is five. Love is the most powerful force uh, in the universe. God is the essence of love itself. So that's what this show is really about. My heart really is about dedication to recovery in, in the area of sexual integrity. I want to play you this song. There's another song by the Elms. will make a lot more sense if you listen to episode 70 first. So, episode 71, I'm going to title this show, um, Who are the Ephesians, and what do they have to do with me and my culture? I want to unpack a little bit of um, what I talked about in the last show, and the reason I play that song for you, um, kind of a dark song, Russ, what do you, well, it illustrates a great point, and it illustrates what I want you to protect yourself from. Not from desire in and of itself. Desire's not wrong. God made desire, desire's good. Talked about that a bunch of times. What are you chasing? What are you after? What is in your heart? 
you know, uh, what is that devil in you? What what are you justifying? What in your identity seems to say, I've got this all worked out, I got this all together, and I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about it, I don't need anybody's help. Um, pride. What, what, what are the queen ants under the surface? Pastor Rick Thiessen uh, did a series of... Uh, a series of sermons on who do you love, uh, talking about the D word, as he puts it, you know, disciple or discipline. What does that mean? I've talked a lot on this show about uh, it's kind of like you've gr- cut a groove out in your mind, you know, like a wheelbarrow going back and forth and you get in a rut and it's trying to muscle that wheelbarrow out of the, the rut. That is part of discipline. Or discipleship. Discipleship is making you, um, it's tying that, that discipline to your identity. It's cutting through, you know, getting out a, a saw and cutting through the cables that were once spider webs. You know, the, the train of thought that have gone back and forth that have turned those, those spider webs into cables. How do we break through that? How do we bust those habits. The main thing that I wanted to discuss, and and I've been criticized for using the word evangelical in a negative tone, and I want to address that because I've been um, talking, emailing back and forth with with some of you, and I really want to go into that a little bit. I really want to talk about that because one of the things Paul said to the Ephesians about um, giving instruction and teaching was Ephesians 4, starting in 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be beneficial to those who listen. If there's anything that I am trying to do here is to build you up, and according to your needs is to break that addiction to break this thing that has this stranglehold on you this this um, thing that you keep returning to this thing that seems to own you that is my job I've been through it I know what it takes I can I've sat in groups man I, I can I, I just know what it takes to break this thing I see uh, under the surface I don't know it was a gift I have I don't know what it is all right I'm not a psychologist I've read some books on the subject I'm not uh, you know, psychiatrist. I'm not a religious type of person. I study the Bible. I've not read a lot of books on theology and stuff like that. But I know what it means to be redeemed. Continuing on here, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. That's what I'm trying to do. Sometimes I come off sounding really angry at the evangelical types, right? This evangelical attitude. I don't want to put um, religious people in, in, the, in a box of, of sinner and then condemn them. Maybe I've done that. And, and here's the deal. My email is russ at asi247.org. Help me do this. Help me communicate in a way that, that helps you. Because um, 
like I talked about the last show, the, the guy who e- emailed me, and we've been in a dialogue about this. Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I don't want to come off as, as bitter or angry, right? It's just really tough to break someone's pride when they are clinging to an, a religious idea. One of the biggest things that keeps people in the evangelical world, okay, I'm not trying to use that as a negative tone, that, that there is a subculture, a Christian subculture, that is in the United States, that's in the UK, that's in um, Australia. One of the biggest things that, that um, Martin Luther did during the Reformation was he said that, you know, you can go to to Jesus yourself. You don't need a priest to go to Jesus. You don't need a priest to talk to God. That this was a religious thing that the Catholics kind of fell into. That we can pray to God. That we have a, a direct line to God. And he put the Bible in our hands, right? Like the Bible was this book that was only for elitists, you know, for the religious elite. So Martin Luther broke it down a little bit. And he put the Bible in the hands uh, of people like you and I, laymen, knowing that it's not a book of, of, you know, like technology or technical data, but it's, it's letters written to the heart of people. And the sad thing about it is, is one of the things that he said that I say a lot on this show is that religion is the default mode of the heart. That these priests and these prophets and the, and the people, the clergy and the Catholic Church aren't necessarily evil in their hearts, but we all seem to kind of fall into this, this attitude of religion that if I just do everything right, you know, we fall into karma, basically, is what it is. Bottom line, it's just, it's karma. Whether you like that word or not, it's karma. I start talking about karma on a Christian show and people go, what is this? Um, I know, you're right. Christians, when they think that way, are falling into karma. And you're right, karma is, is, is evil. It doesn't work. It's not true. It is in some areas. It is on surface level, but the heart is, is very different. The heart of a person can change. The heart is, is moved and, and it's impacted in different areas that have nothing to do with karma. And that's the funny thing about karma. If you believe in that, if you're one of those folks who, well, I don't think karma's evil. Well, here, check this out, okay? Then you have to believe in reincarnation, okay? And then that's part of Buddhism and Hinduism. They believe in that because, I mean, if you look at a movie, there's a great illustration of this in the movie regarding Henry. It also illustrates how uh, some tragedies can become blessings as well. Um, regarding Henry, uh, Harrison Ford plays a lawyer. This is back in 1991, uh, film out. Uh, he plays a lawyer who uses his memory for a while and, and becomes like a child, basically. It's a great illustration of being born again as well. And he starts to realize that the job that he had, he does not like the person he used to be. And... Uh, there's a lot of stories in law firms of men and women who have great hearts for the law and for justice and, you know, seeing people get justice and they become um, defense attorneys because the money is better and basically start to, you know, lose their passion. Um the book of Ecclesiastes, this is great, chapter 7, verse 15. 
In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness, and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. See, because if we believe in karma, it, you know, karma basically is, is like this. You look at the Buddhists and Hindus. Um, in the heart of it, if you go down to the heart of a person, basically people can be inherently lazy in the heart, right? So if we're going to look at a person who's hurting and suffering with the worldview of karma... Um, that person is working out their karma with God. And who am I to step in and help this person, right? Because they have to work out their deal with God. That's between them and God. For me to step in and help would be, you know, me messing with uh, the universe and the eternal order of things, if you believe in karma. Okay, that's not true. You know, and it just blows me away that the Dalai Lama comes here to Seattle and talks about seeds of compassion, while we uh, go over there and build hospitals so people don't die because of they believe in karma. You know, you know what I'm saying? Okay, you send out the good vibe, you send out the positive vibe, you don't always get that back. And that is not the message of the gospel. Going back to the Ephesians, the Ephesians were not a kind of a, they were a religious culture, but not in the aspect that you and I would think of as like Christianity. Religion. I was really researching this about uh, Artemis, right? The, the goddess Artemis, who was the main religion in the city of Ephesus at the time. Um, people worshipped uh, the Greek god. This is a Greek city in the time. Right now, it, it exists in Turkey. I don't think it's called Ephesus anymore. It's, Ephesus is probably a neighborhood of of the city. It's a port city. It was a port city back in the first century, and people um, worshipped Artemis. Now. I've heard and read a lot of stuff about uh, Artemis being the the princess of prostitutes, that she had you know twenty three breasts hanging off her, um, that people went and like they did with uh, in the in Corinth you know they paid a prostitute to uh, have sex with a prostitute and much like uh, worshiping Aphrodite. In, in Greece, and this, but this was different. From what I've really researched about about Artemis outside of the Christians, and I'm just getting, I'm really leery towards the data that I've learned about the Christian, you know, Christian reviews of Greek gods, because Artemis was, from what I've learned, is was a god of uh, fruitful, you know, being having the fruit of your womb, uh, fertility. Uh, Artemis was the, the goddess of the hunt, you know, going out and hunting. Kind of the goddess of prosperity, really. And I really didn't hear a whole lot about uh, prostitutes and promiscuous sex going on in the church of Artemis. Uh, that's what I expected to. Now, if you read people like Hal Lindsey, yeah, he says that, you know, they would temple prostitutes and all this stuff and, you know, there's really horrible things going on and and yet, there was some horrible things going on. Artemis, in and of herself, was just another religion, you know? Until the pagans came in and mixed this uh, 
this Greek god with the with the kind of an occult um, worship of the the earth. That's when things started to get into black magic and uh, people, you know, doing some really freaky stuff. But Artemis, you know, was not this horrible dark thing. And I think that it, it it's kind of like. Christians throughout history have written about this and said that, well, we made we need to make Artemis look really, really bad, so then we can look, you know, Jesus can look really, really good. Like we're we're trying to sell religion, right? So we want our religion to look better than that religion. And I think Paul's point was a little different than that. That yeah, things got dark, but not in the sense that uh, that most people think that read from from people like Hal Lindsey, and I just have a hard time with Hal Lindsey, I'll be honest with you. I, I respect the man for some of the stuff he's wrote, but I have to discern the heart of a guy who keeps saying the world's going to end, and it doesn't. Okay, this guy fed into the Y2K scare that just basically scared a lot of old people out of their money. Okay, I have a hard time with that. I was a guy calling... You know, not just Christian radio stations, but radio stations, and saying it's a clock problem. Okay, it's a clock problem. All the banks in the world—they have money. They will pay computer technicians to fix their little clock problem. Okay, the world's not going to end in Y2K. But this weird kind of religious chicken little, the sky is falling attitude that came out of people like Hal Lindsey and, and that whole crowd. So when he writes a book about, you know, about Artemis and Ephesus and all these different gods, I'm just, I'm having a hard time with that. So, I don't know. If there's any other information that you could send me that's factual, I would love to hear it about Artemis. Because I was expecting to hear this kind of twisted, weird, sexual thing going on when that's really not what was going on. As a matter of fact, the priests in the temple of Artemis had to be celibate. Like, they had to... Um, vow of chastity much like the Catholics do so um, I just want to be factual I don't want to try to blow this out and make it all oh this was a horrible place and people were addicted to porn and they went in there and downloaded porn and you know stuff like that through the history of that religion when the pagan culture came down and there became this uh different thing right it became something else it became not just Artemis, but Diana and uh, some of the Wiccans still today, and there's a huge Wiccan following here in the Seattle area, so one of the hotbed type of places for the occult around this area. So I've become aware of of Wicca and and that religion as well. And some of the Wiccans still to this day worship Artemis as a female, you know, goddess of fertility and babies and stuff like that. That's another thing that they said in, you know, these are eggs hanging off her, not 23 breasts like Hal Lindsey said, but um, eggs. And, and I'm not all against Hal Lindsey. He's said some good stuff, but I'm, I'm, I just worry what he's fueled and motivated by <laughs> to have his, his weird kind of uh, prophetic deal going on. I think he should check out. I think she should repent. I think he should apologize and and he hasn't really he just he hasn't he, he should apologize for being a false prophet because in biblical days they would stone the guy to death that's what they did with false prophets they also stoned to death adulterers too so i'm not going to be too uh, harsh on hal lindsay there cuz i am uh, 
I'm a sinner too. We're all sinners saved by grace. Saints and sinners. These are two things that I wanted to get across too. I sent an email to uh, another listener. We were talking about the subject. And I said, hey, help me out. I am you know, not perfect. I'm doing this ministry thing. But I am doing the best I can with what I know. I am also a sinner saved by grace. And he said, well, you're not a sinner. You're a saint. That's true too, but you know we have to understand and, and see our difficulties and our flaws, which is a big part of what I want to talk about today. Talking about Ephesus, what's going on in Ephesus? So Paul comes to this culture that worships this uh, this functional savior of uh, futility and and prosperity. And here's what I mean by saints and sinners: it's it's being honest about you know where we're saints, and and. We're, we're also sinners. Um, I guess what, I, what I'm really after is, is more of a more of a real heart behind the Christian subculture, right? Evangelicals types. Um, what I find is that here's here, let me give you a story from, from my own life. Um, my daughter is doing very well in school. She has, through her life, she's done very well academically. We've always encouraged her academically. We've always rewarded her when she's got good grades and stuff, right? Fed into that. Me and my wife have been, you know, encouragers of, of her, her academics. And, and now she's graduating from high school with honors, right? She's graduating with, uh, with college credits, which are better than, uh, you know, some weird little honor student thing. But, you know, she's going to running start. She qualifies for part of her public school education um, through this program. She can get through college if she qualifies. And she does because she's very smart, right? So I could go to the the Christian culture, go to church, or get around my church friends, right? And we could all pat me on the back and and my wife and say how great of a job we're doing. And, And I think that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great that we have people in our lives to, to, you know like the Bible says, to rejoice with, right? To, to have victory with, to celebrate with. You know, it's like that spiritual two-year-old. You know, we're growing up spiritually and, and you know, having the people in, in God's family around us to, you know, pat us on the back a little bit when we're, when we're get up and we're walking and we're doing well. You know, because that's, that's us. You know, God loves and he rejoices in us. And he's glad to see us when we get up and we start walking. He's like, wow, like a parent with a two-year-old. Wow, you know, exploding in, in, in joy over this kid getting up and walking. So I think that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's, uh, here's the deal. And here's part of killing one of the queen ants that I talk about. It's also being honest about our own sin okay because with me here is what I want more than a million dollars okay more than retiring it at 40 okay I'm, I'm going to be 40 in June as well just turning 40 and that was one of my goals in the past like I've been in business and you know I was in investing in the stock market and started several you know I started some internet startups and things like that and I've always wanted to retire at 40 which I'm not going to do but here's what I want more than a million bucks okay what more than retiring early I want my daughter to be able to put her heart in my hands I would love for my daughter to know that daddy 
has loves her and she can rest and trust in, in dad's heart for her right that that dad is a safe place because I've not been that in the past I've been harsh I've been like you know and I could justify and go oh, well I was her coach you know and I pushed her hard but look at the grades she's getting you know no no I want to be the place that, you know, the guy that she can come to when she's having troubles later on in life and to get advice from and to know that I'm safe for that. I'm not going to point out her flaws and say, well, the reason that happened is because you were doing this. And, you know, that's not that's not how our father our God, our father is. If we really know our Bible, you know, I think a lot of people look at God as that, as we fall down and God's like shaking his head at us and how dare you, you stupid kid, look at you. You know, does God do that? No. Do we do that with our two-year-olds? No. But what about our as a parent? You know, I've not been that. I've been harsh with my daughter. I've pointed the finger at her like she's the problem, you know? And I want to be a better daddy. And, and for me to change means that I'm going to have to submit myself, right? I'm going to have to kill a queen ant and, and get some knowledge from some people who know a little more than I do. You know, to, to look for a guy that's got fruit on his tree, that his, his daughters love him and trust him and go to him for advice. I can learn from a guy like that, you know? I can learn from a guy like that. One thing I have learned is... One thing Mark Driscoll said is, is that, you know, I do something nice for my kids and I say, um, why did dad do that? You know, I buy him something or take him someplace and why did dad do that? And they'll say, because you love us, you know, so that when I have to discipline them, I can say, who am I? No, who am I really? And they can say, you're our dad. And I can say, what do I do? You love us. Okay, that's a radical different change than the father I was before. And I'm not very good at it. And I'm learning to change it. And I'm looking for guys to speak into my life about that. See, but that's being honest about sin. That's repentance. You know, we look at repentance as this word that, you know, it's like getting smacked with a ruler by God or something. That's not it at all. It's how do we get back up? i got to learn to stand back up and put one foot in front of the other. And I've learned that two plus two is five through my childhood. You know? I'm not going to sit here and boast about how I grew up so bad and had it so hard and I didn't finish high school and here I cranked out an honor student. No. I'm not going to boast about that. I and mean, sure, that's a, that's a great thing, but at the same time, I'd love my daughter's heart to really trust me. To really rest in, in dad as a safe place. To bring her hurts and her fears and her shortcomings. I want that more than I want a million dollars. Because I'll be honest, you know, you get around the Christian subculture, you get around Christian guys, for example, hanging out with Christian men, and I just don't hear a lot of how to be a better daddy, you know? Be a better husband. And that's another thing, guys. You want to give a great gift to your kids? Love their mom. Love their mom, okay? And now if you're in a divorce situation or something like that, um, stop putting her down. Stop pointing the finger at her. Stop scapegoating her, maybe. She's half of them. She's half of their bloodline.
You need to do whatever it takes to cut out that queen ant. Because if you got aught against your ex, it's going to bleed over into your kids. And that's not loving them. You know, it's really not. I'm not trying to be harsh with you here, but that's just the truth. The point I'm, I was trying to make before I got sidetracked by that there a little bit was uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Christian subculture about let's go start a ministry. Let's go let's go feed the homeless and let's go, you know, speak at prisons and, and do all this stuff. And look at Russ go. He's up there doing his thing and he's got this podcast and he's doing such a great job. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I just... It, it, the outs, that's the outside of the cup, you know. I mean, sure, that's great. That's great works. I mean, the world can see our great works and glorify our Father in heaven. But if I don't got got it going on at home, if I don't go got it going on behind my door with my my being husband, daughter, and my son, being daddy. But that's what I want to hear more of in the Christian subculture. I want to hear more of men talking about how to love their wives and love their kids. This is finding your Savior. This is where we find Jesus as our Savior. This is where we pray for wisdom. This is where we ask for forgiveness. This is where we get up and walk. This is what we're building on. These are the foundations. Jesus is the foundation, right? That story of the, uh, called the prodigal son, Luke 15, if you want to read it. Uh, I like to call it the story of the running father. Got that from a, a pastor in the UK who did a sermon about that. The running father. This, this crazy Jewish father who raised up his tunic, running after arms wide open for his son who was jacked up and messed up and totally disobedient, had been a total jerk, coming back to his dad for shelter, to be saved from the mess that he created, from the prison of his own making. And what else does he do? He also, the older brother, when the older brother gets all angry and upset about this party that's being thrown for the, you know, the bad boy, the disobedient one, the older brother, right? Maybe that's who I'm referring to a lot when I when I talk about the evangelicals. Maybe maybe I'm hurting some of the older brothers out there because what does the running father do? He goes out and he pleads with the, the older brother to come in and join the party. You know, join in the party. Don't just don't be like this. Please come join in the party. There is joy in this. And there's a train behind me. And with that, I'm going to close the show. I'm going to end on the train going off into the distance. I'll leave you with a song by a band called Fireflight. Remember, life is 20% the stuff that's happened to you and 80% how you react what you confess where you will go from this moment in time you are building this moment in time what you just heard 
You're going to do something with it. You're going to choose to do something with it. Did I expose a queen ant that needs to be snuffed out? Something underneath that's giving birth to the rest of the behaviors of sin? So I pray that you realize that growing pains are going to hurt. Okay, and that just because you're having growing pains and just because it hurts, just because you're going through pain, just because you have to mourn sometimes, that's not God's wrath. That's His mercy. That's His hands of grace. Waves of grace being flooded, being, you know, like a plant getting plant food this is this is God's grace pouring over you and not his wrath not him punishing you we suffer through these things so that we can grow that's not God's wrath that's his mercy that's his hands of grace waves of grace and I'm here Remember, you can uh, visit the website. It's asi247.org. Leave a donation. I would certainly appreciate it. This is a listener-supported deal. Um, If you want to download some of the music I've played, you can go to the website, asi247.org, and buy the music right off of iTunes there. Uh, I don't get paid a dime for that. It's just a way to promote the music and to be playing bumpers. I can... It's part of a promotional deal. That's part of the rule for talk radio. Till next time, bye. I'm okay. Gently wrapped in your